What's good, Richmond? And welcome to a special, supersized edition of The Table. This is post-election politics as usual, and I can tell you what a week it's been. Um, it has been a joyous week for some, a challenging week for others, and an emotional week for, I think, everyone. Um, we have been caught by surprise in a number of ways when you talk about how we view um, politics, how we view how people are viewing politics, how we view uh, society in general. And one of the things that I think and pray that comes out of everything that we've been through this week so far is that there is a need not just for people to talk at each other, but to actually listen to what people have to say, especially people that may disagree with you, and try to understand perspectives that are different from their own in the, in the friend group that they are around. With that said, um, when we kind of drill that into all politics is local, we had a pretty emotional, pretty highly charged local election season in Richmond. So when we talk about Richmond politics, when we talk about the elections, when we talk about how people feel coming out of the elections, uh, I will be completely frank with you, we invited quite a few winners and losers from the local election to come on this particular week, and quite a few of them said that they are too emotional to talk about the process, uh, even though we would all, I think we would all agree around this table that the Richmond election process was a lot more civil than the national level. Um, there were still some highly charged emotional things, and there's also some things I think we can take away and learn from. So what we've done, because it's a it's a large group, this I wanted to film like form this as more of a town hall than a uh, traditional roundtable. We have a combination of past table guests and some new table guests that we're really excited about here. And we also have the privilege to have. Uh, Mark Robinson from Richmond Magazine, who's covered the mayor's race from wire to wire and probably has some uh, carryover residual effect from all the city council and school board races as well. Uh, we also have with us uh, the blog team over at RVA Dirt. I'm very excited to have them. I'm just meeting them for the first time, but it's <laughs> Melissa and Jesse. Yes. And so we're very pleased to have them as well. And we also have, uh, of all the local electeds and mayor-elects and mayors that we invited, we do have the representative from the second district, Kim Gray, who won her election um, with us as well. So she's one of the unique local officials that served on school board and now I'm actually transitioning over to serve on council. So I'm excited to ask them, all of them, along with our amazing, amazing uh, group of panelists from past episodes and some new panelists, I would be remiss if I don't start off by saying we are at the 804 RVA Annex space down in Shaco Bottom. Uh, we've got to thank them for offering up their space, and um, it's just an amazing facility if you are a uh, someone that is looking to kind of work uh, in an office that's a co-working space, please check them out because they uh, are a fantastic facility down in Shaco Bottom, and they have a also an additional facility up on Broad Street near uh, uh, kind of higher towards the West End. Um, kind of VCU area. But I'm going to get started with Mark, and I'm really, really excited about speaking to you because I've followed your work in regards to, I saw you at the Virginia Union, the very first mayoral forum, where the actual mayor, fun fact, the actual mayor-elect was not at that forum no. because <coughs> he was still Secretary of the Commonwealth, mm -hmm. and he thought it was premature to participate. 
uh, there were a lot of people on stage yeah. that day, <laughs> and now they actually drilled down to a three-person race. Yeah. One of Chad was also on stage. <laughs> one of the guys that the election too. Um, <laughs> so, Mark, take me through not the entire process, but as we've come out from the election on Tuesday, we found out Wednesday that Lavar Stoney has won five out of the nine, and is now the mayor elect. He's already working on his transition. Through the course of this, what would you consider were quote unquote the pivotal moments or you know, the pivotal moments of this mayor's race? Well, I mean, just starting off, I mean, just to say to begin it, it was it was such a crazy race because you saw so many people at first throw their name in the hat. Uh, I think at one point there were 18, 19 candidates, and, and there were candidates that, that some considered to be, you know, uh, you know, legitimate contenders, quote unquote. Um, you know, your Stonies, your Morrisseys, uh, Belisles, Council President Mosby, uh, Jack Barry. I think actually came out of the gates and surprised a lot of people over the summer. He he laid out, um, he or he assembled a really robust campaign. He had a lot of volunteers. And you saw with that, that first poll, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of discussion about how the polls governed the way that we thought about this race, but that first poll you saw Barry kind of jump out ahead of some of the people who were on council uh, and really distinguish himself as a, as a real contender in the race. I think that that surprised a lot of people. That was obviously pivotal moving forward in terms of how people thought about um, you know, who could win the race yeah. and, and, and the whole, you know, who can beat uh, Joe Morrissey. There was obviously a lot of, um, you know, despite him having a, a large following in parts of the city, there was a, a large contingent of people who um, did not want to see Joe be the next mayor and, and made, no, made no bones about that. So, um, you know, the, the first poll that showed him being, you know, the quote unquote front runner, the person who would win the election, if it had been held that day, I think that that uh, really galvanized a lot of people to, to, to pay attention and say, well, just because this guy has a track record of, of having some personal troubles and legal troubles and even criminal troubles you know, very recently, um, it doesn't mean he's not, he's just gonna you know, go quietly into that good night. Like he's gonna put up a real fight and we need to take you know, his candidacy seriously. So, um, you know, people getting engaged with the local election and deciding to whether to back um, you know, a LeVar or a John or a Jack because they thought that they were, that candidate, that particular candidate could beat Joe. I think that that was a pivotal stage in the race as well. Um, the idea that uh, people needed to cast their votes strategically in certain districts uh, so as to um, you know, head off the possibility of him winning the election outright. Um, that was a huge, um, you know, couple of weeks in the election. Right, that was like a shift. Yeah. It was a really gradual right. shift yeah, right. to yeah. people figuring out right. how we can stop Joe. And the, and that the last really big thing that I think happened was, you know, that that conversation coming to a head and John Belial's, you know, you know, falling on the sword so to speak and saying, you know, I'm going to bow out. Um, I'm calling on other people to bow out, but um, you know, I recognize that if I stay in that I basically may hand the election to this person that half the city maybe more than half the city, I guess, after we saw on election day, does not want to see this man win. So um, John Belisle's dropping out and endorsing, turning around and endorsing LeVar Stoney. Stoney, you know, had called it prior to receiving it, whether he knew he was going to receive it or not. He had called it the, the biggest endorsement of the election. And I think that, you know, given the outcome that we saw on Tuesday, there, there's an argument to be made that that was the biggest moment of the election. And can I ask, I want to ask the group, because I think this is really important to ask, because we do talk about kind of polls and how the poll kind of set up the framework 
whether as accurately as not as possible. How many of you think, and you we can't really see hands, but how many of you really do think that the Blau's endorsement was a turning point in actually LeVar Stoney being elected mayor? Yeah, absolutely. Somebody, somebody weigh in. Matt, Matt and Todd, somebody weigh in. Tell me why we thought that. Because it's kind of, it really is um, surprising to me because I, I was talking, I will tell you this before somebody jump in here. I was talking to a really smart guy that covers this stuff very quickly and you know what they, I mean, very thoroughly. And that guy told me the reason why people drop out is because their support isn't what they thought it was. So it's like, so I was like, so do you think the Bliles thing really does make a difference? And he's like, I really don't know. How many votes does John really have? Somebody, somebody waiting, why do you think it was that important? So I think it was a pivotal shift in uh, Bilal's future after the election as well. I think that it was very strategic. And honestly, I think he did the right thing for the city and the support. He probably got more support post-bowing out than the amount of support that we saw while he was in the race, right? Because we have a track record to see what John has done as a council person. And he had a tremendous amount of kudos from him, from the other people running and from Jane Q and John Q Citizen. It was like, that was an admirable thing to do. We all became smarter through this process, looking at districts. Amy and I, we were, we were fake wolf glitzering. We had just, right, um, right. you know, we were all figuring out what districts do you need to win? No, you don't need Southside. Yes, you do. We had those kinds of conversations. So we all got smarter in the process. And we thought that John, regardless if it impacted one candidate or not, was like a great thing to do in the process. Um, I don't want to, we shouldn't undercut LeVar. Let the record show, I thought he was going to win straight out six mm. months ago. Okay. And you might have been one of the only ones, right? I remember, go back to your first podcast, right. you talked about the mayor. I said LeVar's going to win. Mm. And, um, went, and, and I didn't think that Morrissey's voters were going to come out the way that they were on social media or on the corner of Chamberlain or wherever they else had the meetups. And... and when you really break the numbers down, he was a far third. Mm -hmm. yes. 21% the entire and, and so, and so and that, and that brings me back to that. I want to uh, ask Mark about this specifically as well. Because when that first poll came out and it showed Joe overwhelmingly winning, obviously, like I said, there are some, definitely some questions about that poll. Sure. Uh, but I, I tend to wonder if there was a over represents like so for example obviously we can look at the national election and obviously Clinton was leading the whole time and then everybody was surprised I wonder if you go if, if we'd had the election not just the poll but if we'd had election early on mm -hmm. how much do you think the result would have changed or do you think the result and Mimi's saying you saying you'd had it all along but if we had the election you know early on and I think if I can step in, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, I think also with especially John Belisle jumping out, there's a huge amount of we focus so much on Joe's ahead in these polls, but in a lot of districts, who was really ahead was the undecided voters, and it was like forty percent. And I think that we should have really looked at the polls and saying, okay, who's leading districts four, five, six? Undecided is leading. It wasn't Joe. It was people that didn't know. So when you have people that everyone has an issue if you talk or an opinion at least with lavar you have an opinion on jack barry you have an opinion on john lyles but when you have 40 percent of undecided voters who can't decide which poison do you want to pick mm -hmm. and then you have john lyles drop out and do like the most richmond 
solid <laughs> that I've seen in a while and go over and support LeVar, that really alleviated a lot of concerns about LeVar for many people. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really where part of the poll was we were paying attention to who's in lead, but who was really in lead with these undecided voters. Okay. Um, I live in the 8th, bordering the ninth, and I did a lot of heavy canvassing for just voter registration early on. And um, my district and that district are the ones that, that uh, Joe actually won. So um, from my experience, the last final three weeks, there were a lot of people in the community uh, that people look up to that kind of stepped up on their social media game, kind of saying why they wouldn't vote for Joe. And uh, one of them is sitting next to me on the left, <laughs> AJ. And uh, I think that when people saw the Duran Chavises and the, and the AJs and the, some of the other uh, people that people look up to, it wasn't necessarily they wouldn't vote for Joe, but it was like, yeah, I'll probably not announce it as much or talk about it as much. And uh, some of that support kind of came down. Yeah, yeah, the people that came in my shop. Here's why Joe was leading in the beginning. Morrissey's just a household name. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not paying attention, just like I yeah. wasn't at 18 or 22, uh, who's running for Senate? Oh, I heard of his name before. And so I had a lot of my friends that didn't know what Joe did. And they just told me that they would vote for him because his name was just familiar. Uh, and, in, and it wasn't until we started addressing, like, okay, so just make a fair, like, I just want you to make a fair um, uh, uh, selection of your candidate. Here's what he did. Uh, and now if that's cool with you, then go ahead and vote for him. But I was shocked at the amount of people that told me that they changed their vote or got involved with the process because we did that. And the posts that I had put up that week were actually people in my community. I just, I just posted their text messages to me. Uh, and it was just an overwhelming response. So I, I, I purely think that I don't know how he still won two districts. But I know so many people because nobody else cares about our. But let's let's <laughs> let's bring that on Kim. Oh, we want to bring I want to bring Kim in as well because you have something to say. And I do want no 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 because I want to uh, I want to bring a couple of this in because the one thing that is a periodical fact of this whole thing is Joe didn't win. But now we have to talk about, you know, what, how do we move forward? But I do want I want to jo Kim jump right in really quick, and then we'll we'll talk about some of the other things. So when you're on a ballot with a national ticket, I think a lot of people don't decide until the day of while they're at the polls. So I think one of the most pivotal pieces that help get LeVar over the top is the Democratic Committee endorsement, mm -hmm. having huge. sample ballots, yep. and having organized people down the ticket at Trained each precinct cancers. who who were actually educating voters and I know in the second that's what we did mm -hmm. we had every precinct covered educating folks this is the official ballot because there were lots of other ballots floating mm -hmm. around out there with other names on them but if you can let folks know this is paid for and authorized by the Richmond City Democratic Committee this is the official ballot I think that's what happened in the sixth with Donald Moss's folks they worked very very hard, and I think that took. Mm -hmm. I think that helped take Lavar over the top in the sixth. I know that's what took him over the top in the second because people had not decided at the time they were standing outside minutes before going in to vote who they were voting for down the ballot. They knew they were voting for Clinton because we're heavily Democratic, but they hadn't decided all the way down the ballot. And there were people out there who were very convincing from every camp, and I and I can say. The very people at the precincts that I visited were the most polite, mm -hmm. the most professional that I'd ever encountered. Um, LeVar had excellent people, but we handled the second district. Um, Scott Barlow and I 
covered those precincts because we were on that sample ballot along with LeVar. And I think that's what happened in the so sense. Why not? The sample ballot didn't, didn't help some of the other candidates that were also on it. I think it takes being organized and having people at each precinct who mm -hmm. talk to every voter before they go in. And, and I think and you don't have the, people there. So what's, what's the, do we really think that other kinds of endorsements outside of the Richmond Democrat, the RCDC, was that important? We saw a couple of different strategies, right? Yep. Joe went with the regular guy kind of endorsement. Um, LeVar went with some of the political heavy hitters from I think statewide. A, well, in the East End, like Henry Marsh and Jennifer McClellan, mm -hmm. like su they're super uh, mm -hmm. McClellan's. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that impacted the 7th mm -hmm. District, for sure. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it rang out otherwise. That's a, that's a good question, though, because I, I tend to, for someone that follows just all kinds of politics, I tend to think endorsements matter less and less these days. They do. They do. I mean, like, I don't see any endorsement that really carries weight. Chris, you're looking, do you think endorsements carry weight? I think that, that, that the Democratic Party endorsement meant everything. That um, was. And, and I guess you were asking, well, do you mm -hmm. think it mattered in the, uh, the 8th and the 9th, I guess, is what you're asking about. Is that right? Well, no, I was I was actually um, concerned about, because Donald Moss also won the... Um, he was in the 6th. He, he won the Democratic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's what you do with the endorsement. Yeah. She was also well-known. But there were yeah, was, there were several more. Yeah. She was the incumbent. There were several more people on the ballot with Lavar. Mm -hmm. So if you if you Lavar didn't need mm -hmm. half plus one. Right. Lavar only needed yeah. a certain yeah. percentage to win the six. So okay. um, and in districts there, where there were people that were out, like what Kim was saying, educating. And so mm -hmm. if you were if you were had your people organized and you were using that same right. ballot, mm -hmm. what was happening? Um, and I got this from numerous people that I've talked to mm -hmm. since is if somebody handed you, let's say, a Barry sample ballot, and then they had somebody standing next to them saying, this is the Democratic Party sample mm -hmm. ballot, um, then the person is looking at these two, looks at the Barry guy and says, what is this garbage? Okay. I was going to say, yeah. I, it did not help, I don't think it helped Jack Barry to have the quote, a, those fake ballots with Republican yeah. candidates. Yeah, right. I, the Trump Barry thing, I don't, I don't think, think it helped that. him. No, he didn't. He didn't. Oh, he didn't. Somebody did that. No, I don't think, no, I don't think Jack did that at all. I just don't think, it, I don't think it's helped him. George Bush check. Yeah. 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 Everybody made their own fake ballot. And nobody was trying to say that mine is the real Democrat. But, but, it really, but it really is just that last moment. Yeah. And I think for, for all of us who have been involved in this for so long, to know that people's decision happened when they were standing in line. Yeah. It's important to the president. Yeah. It's a moment of too, but we put all this energy into talking about this candidate and their positions, and really it's just, here's a piece of paper. You don't know what you're doing. I, I had a friend of mine tell me, I saw your post on Instagram. And I voted for Jack. Yeah. People, right. People said right. Today I was walking. That day. Up. So that, that day. I had friends that just that just told me that I had the big. Yeah. I had a friend that was like, I'm in the voting booth. Who do I vote for between these two? Right. Shows? You're yeah. just only texting. Uh, free. Yeah. That's what I said. Yeah. Um, all right. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. No. So it was really interesting because I remember um, the week before, before the election. Um, I had a conversation with Jack. I mean, God, for, with um, there's so many J's. In John. This. John. Bloods. John. And um, <laughs> I would do that in front of him. They call him Ronnie. But no, I, I did. And so I was like, look, it's time. We need you to come on and um, drop out. You know, what if you split the boat? I mean, we're gonna choke you. You know, <laughs> <laughs> don't do this to us. And um, it was just a one-on-one -on -one meeting with like maybe three other people. 
two hours. And I just made every single reason why I felt like it was time. And this was like maybe six days before the election. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, I've got to wait for you. I have to wait until the endorsement comes out from Doug wow. Wilder. Mm -hmm. And I was like, we mm -hmm. don't care what Doug Wilder. That's not going to shift anything. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's not the people who are going to make this election happen. What Doug Wilder says doesn't really matter. And so it's interesting that he really did wait for that. And when Doug Wilder came out, he didn't endorse anyone. Right. So right. Right. He didn't know who was going to win. He endorsed right. Rita Trammell. He endorsed Rita Trammell. He didn't endorse Rita Trammell, right? He But yeah, that, so, so that, that brings us up to a, a really critical point now, and uh, and, uh, and we've got we're fortunate enough at this group to have uh, Kim here, who won her election in the second district, and has actually won a number of elections, obviously from school board and city council. Um, but I'm very interested, Kim, in the second district, and I'm interested around the table. We have winners, whether it's school board, city council, and obviously the mayor's race. What was it about the candidates that won? And I want to start with Kim so you can tell us what you feel like translated to voters in the second district. But why did the winners win? And why did the people that came up short came up short? Obviously there's a whole that's a that's a wide ranging question, but is is there some kind of themes that we see through the people that won their elections as we move forward and talk about okay, we gotta do this again. Mm -hmm. Four years from now, two Tomorrow. years from now, next week. Yep. Right. So, January. Kim, start with you in the, in the voters in the second, because you had a very highly contested race. Charlie Deardor is not a stranger to people, and you ran against Charlie, and you know Charlie yourself. Um, what was it that you think ultimately put you and other candidates like you um, across the finish line? I think having um, direct voter contact, either at the doors or at the polls, is what makes the biggest difference. There are no silver bullets. Um, you have to have some money. You have to be able to do mail. Um, but your best dollars are spent with direct voter contact. Yeah. And as much as you can get out there and talk to people and meet them and actually have ideas that resonate with them and listen and connect, that gets to them. So you were not the only one out there though, right? I think Rebecca and Charlie both uh, probably hit just about every, well, Charlie, I know, talking with him, he hit just about every door. Well, I said um, listen and connect. That's not a slight. That's important, because that's not a slight. I think listening and connecting and having people that identify with you in your district and beyond. Sorry. Even even as we go around this table, uh, people don't want to feel like they're ta you're talking at them. Right. And they're talking at them for their vote. And, they want to be able to feel as if, and I'm not, I'm not talking has, about... Kim has a formula for it, too. Right. It's the feel felt found, Don't right? tell my formula. <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 I share that with you privately. district with Andreas Addison, who um, was up against kind of old Richmond establishment, uh, lost the Democratic committee didn't endorse anybody. Um, but of course that's fair, probably the one fair, they did, uh, none of them sought they the asked, yeah, they Andreas are. actually asked, he initially was seeking it and, mm -hmm. and asked to be taken to off. not get it. Interesting. He technically so, won it, but... Right, but it, he, uh, so I, I advised him a little bit on some of his campaign because I've known him for a while, but he said exactly the same thing as you. He would knock on people's doors, 
say, I have a vision, but I want to talk to you, and I want to see what's important to you, and figure out how I can help you get your things done. And I think that makes a lot of difference, uh, is that voter contact, and the listening, and being willing to put, you know, to put yourself out there and say, I'm, I'm willing to listen and try to get done what you say. Can I, really quick, I mean, we got a whole bunch of tables. I do want to bring John in, only because you and I both, you set up the 7th District, the 7th District Forum. And I was I was lucky enough to uh, to moderate that forum, and so I could see one of the things that I did see in regards to the the people that wanted the seventh, which were Cynthia Newbill and uh, Nadine Marsh Carter, was just a deep understanding of the district. Mm -hmm. Decades. I mean, decades, decades understanding of mm -hmm. the district, and no matter who ran against them, it could have been great people with great visions. That intimate understanding of the district. Definitely put them, I think, leaps and bounds above. Combination of deep understanding of the district, and also, I mean, they, they're very highly educated women who can speak on topics and are they're dedicated. I mean, they 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 brought a lot to it. They're stellar candidates. I mean, the, the folks running against them were passionate and to a degree informed, but I mean, uh, Nadine and Cynthia are like next level. Okay, Mark. I was just going to jump in. I mean, to the experience and, and, and the knowledge and the, the ties to the district, I think, are huge in certain places. But then you still saw a lot of young candidates, you know, new to Richmond, quote unquote, new Richmond candidates who are, you know, millennials, you know, under 35. You're Scott Barlow in the second district. He's only been in the city for a couple of years. That guy, Lavar, that guy LeVar. Yeah, LeVar, yeah. obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. in the city. Uh, Donald Moss pushed Ellen, you know, probably I mean, harder than yeah. any other candidate. He's, you know, only I think 32 and so it wasn't just that you know certain candidates had just been around longest I think that people uh, certain candidates were just as Kim said more able to, to convey their strengths and, and also show that they really are, are trying to hear concerns I think it, it's yeah. in the seventh it, I think the stability is a big piece for a lot of our community that I mean, we're going through a lot of change mm -hmm. like racial economic change and the fact that our, our two winning candidates kind of come from the neighborhood and the, the have that history is important. You know, I don't know that a new candidate would run well up there, like they might further west. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But a little, so let's let's talk about that. Let's pivot just a little bit because we do have a new uh, mayor elect who is fairly new to the city of Richmond. When you talk about these types of things, throughout the course of this race, we have seen obviously things that are challenging to us, whether it's uh, poverty in the city, whether you're talking about education, whether you're talking about <laughs> opportunities for new economic development, you've seen all of these things kind of put on highlight um, when candidates are talking about the future of Richmond. One of the things that we have talked about, it's been a theme throughout all of our table podcasts, is that whoever wins is gonna need today the, you know, the day after the election was going to need to really lay out how they're going to bring these challenges in these communities together. Most people, there's always the narrative of the two Richmonds. Uh, some people say that it doesn't exist. There's only one Richmond, and we just got to make sure that everybody comes together. But I think the most people through the theme of the Table Podcast is that there are two separate sectors of Richmond, one that seems to be doing fairly well and one that's being left behind. Lavar is in a interesting unique position so is Kim so is everyone that won elections on Tuesday in regards to having a responsibility of making sure that you know 
everyone is, is kind of working together to for the betterment of the city. And so the question is now how do um, how do they go about doing that important work? Because even to this day, I you know, I'm looking at Amy because they're the seventh, the eighth, the ninth, the sixth. Well when you kinda look at it, they're still to me forgotten districts yeah. when you talk there, about there's this. Really, city. There's really ten Richmonds, right? Because each district is very has its own specific mm -hmm. needs. Um, and we can't have this conversation about the election <coughs> without talking about class, age, social economic divides, and gender, right? So I think it was a great observation to say that five of your nine council persons are women. And of that, the seventh didn't change. I, I like Dr. Newbill a lot. I have profound respect, but she doesn't exactly represent this new millennial shift. And you said that yes. the, the, the district needs that stability. But Amy talks about the forgotten South Side. I live in the fourth, and nobody. We were like, oh, this. We talk about the third, the sixth, the eighth, the ninth. Right. And it's like, like one, two, like, and four. Y'all okay? And I'm new yeah. to the fourth, right? <laughs> there was a. There so was a, somebody ran unopposed for school board in the ninth, right? Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. And then and the, the two, person two elections in a row, right? And the person right. that won city council on the ninth. I mean, I, I don't want to. I don't know him, but I know he's he's new to the district, right? Now he right. may have he a didn't live in the ninth until about two months before. So, so you, right. but you look at that, and you look okay. at some of the other. And he, and yeah. He's he's youngish, right? He's youngish, new to the district. I mean, so it, the, the tale of two cities, I understand that metaphor that we use. Okay. But every district is, has its own thing going on. And I know John Young from a different capacity. He works at Virginia State, so I kind of shift just because I knew, oh, he went to the same school as I did. But I live on the fourth that borders, like, real south side, right? Mm -hmm. and, and as I drive through one part of the fourth, I saw no presence of John. I was like, man, like... He's not stopping. I get a couple of things in the mail. You can't canvas in my neighborhood. But then I went to the other side of the forest. He was flooded. Right? I saw a ton. My my, my mother-in-law lives off of Bicknell. Like, mm -hmm. right in her backyard is Chesterfield. And I saw nothing but John. It was right. kind of insane. So okay. even, in, even in the districts, it's divided by class, race, and economics. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, something that I've thought a lot about is Joe Morrissey's candidacy and the success that he had and that we all saw. I think it says a lot about Richmond and where we're at. And then you have a lot of people, myself included, who are very much on this never Joe, no Joe train. And I feel like very torn because I feel like we then push that voice down a little bit. No, and that's, that's a good point. I, I think I asked in the podcast, uh, uh, at one of the table episodes, is all of the people that, vote, that were strong Joe Morrissey people, yeah. if he loses... They were voting for him because they didn't think they had a voice. How do we re-engage? Now, how do we think? How do we get them on Mawson the six? Yeah, so I had a conversation. Like we have, we talk every single day, but we have podcasts all the time. <laughs> but and I said, an incumbent. There were thousands of people who said we want something different. Mm -hmm. I, I make suggestions all the times about what should happen post-election. But if it were me, I would want to understand. Why was, you had so many people that was adamant that you were the right choice and I wasn't. So when we talk about what happens the next day, mm -hmm. I would want to engage with RVA mm -hmm. Dirt as much as that would probably hurt 
that Robinson team, but you you know, he was able to galvanize thousands of people. No one knew you last year mm-hmm. and everyone knew her for fifteen years. What is that saying about the shift in my district if you really want to own your thing? You're not gonna ever get hundred percent of the votes, right? Right. Cynthia Newbill got like seventy something, seventy seventy. She, 70 she did win every precinct, which is no worry. She won every precinct. The most okay. interesting thing about the six is that Donald Moss won two precincts. He won mm-hmm. downtown and, and he Whitcomb. won Wickham. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we we were and <laughs> I know, right? overwhelmingly, you know, we six. heard in Whitcomb, Ellen Robertson what does not come here, does not understand us, does not represent us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was you know, uh, disappointing to hear, and they were they were all in. Also, the turnout at Wickham was about 53% of what it was in 2012. I don't know if that was some voter ID, you know, um, problems that they had, or what, that was also very shocking. Or if they were just like, you know, we're not coming out at all. I don't know if people didn't come out or they were turned away, but what? that was un- under- unfortunate. Well, let me ask this to you, and let me bring in uh, both Chad and Brad as well, because there is a challenge of what do, what do people that you've got, you both have constituencies in the sense of Chad, you ran for elected office. Brad, uh, obviously you um, are the voice for a lot of people that don't have a voice when you're talking about GRVA and RVMA. Moving forward, um, what are the things that you want to see? What do you want to see in a new, in a, a, a Richmond that has a new city council and a new school board? Um, I think we've hedged a lot of bets on Stony in a way that none of us are really prepared for. Um, I think he comes from, um, a Clinton way of thinking, and I think the secrecy and quietness we've had from the mayoral's office is going to be the exact same. Uh, so there's that. Um, <laughs> heads up. I know, but that's a challenge, right? I mean, oh, yeah. if he's no, going to change the page, there's oh, got to be yeah. more transparency no, I mean, in City Hall. I don't, I don't think it's something to be that transparent. Right. Um, and, and speaking of a Clinton president, or a, uh, you know, being from the Clinton camp, like a LeVar Stoney with Hillary Clinton in the White House is a much different LeVar Stoney with the Trump in the White House. Like all well, the shit, we all, thought, we all get. thought Clinton in the White House meant McCullough in the White House meant Stoney in the White House. <laughs> so, well, like, here's the thing. That, that, that his whole, the entrance into his campaign was dog shit. Sorry, it was, was <laughs> <laughs> Like, no, I, I, I we know we all threw our, our, our bodies behind Stoney when Belisle's bailed. That wasn't even, I wasn't really keen on anybody. Uh, but the whole, uh, yeah, I mean. There's I'm a having a hard time understanding what you mean. Well, I. I mean, like, like we had no idea, we had no idea where Sony's coming from in any of this. Um, no, I mean, and, and we did we did interviews in Gay RBA about LGBTQ issues. There's not much you can do at the city level uh, unless you really want to screw shit up. Sorry, um, you can talk which, freely. Yeah, well, like, I mean, I would love I would love to see what they did in Charlotte because Charlotte and uh, or North Carolina and Virginia are both Dillon Rule states, so you can't pass any laws that add powers outside of um, what this uh, GA allows. So I would love to see. Like what? What could you do for LGBT folks at the state level? You could pass protections. City council could pass protections. It wouldn't technically be valid, but much like they did in North Carolina, they could try and shut it down. Hopefully, while you think McAuliffe would veto it, it'd be really interesting to see how that pans out. Um, but yeah, I mean, in the end, there's no right or wrong way to, or right or left way to pave a road. Um, and it, it was unique because Jones never did come out in support of marriage equality. Jones was always real quiet on that. Um, so I don't know what to expect. I mean, he said a lot of the right answers and we talked to him about LGBTQ issues, about uh, art, art, arts and culture issues, because we did a version of Preach publication. 
Um, but no, I've, I've worked enough with the McCulloch administration through the General Assembly to not have a lot of faith in, in this. So I think what I'm hearing from you, though, is that we can't be complacent. Like, just because we're past oh, yeah. the election no, no, no. is that we can't be complacent and just let it happen. Because just because John backed LeVar or just because LeVar won and we're past it doesn't mean that the concerns about LeVar and his ties to the Democrat Party are absolved. Yeah. And I think we're, that we're we need to... Chad, yeah, you've yeah. kind of really lived this whole thing. And now that it's over, in the sense of the actual election, how do we, you talked about it on our table podcast, it was one of the more poignant moments, how do you um, make sure that people at Broad Rock or Metal Bridge, or like the people that don't necessarily get engaged every day about these issues, and now that the election's over, they may not be coming into AJ's shop talking about politics now every day. How do you move the, the dialogue forward in a way that people are actually listening to each other, like you're saying, as opposed to just talking to people? That's a good question. I think we have to, moving forward, try to take advantage, hopefully, of some of the momentum going into the election and bring that out in a more personal level and try to interact with each other on a city level in a better way so you know people like Joe Morrissey can't come in the future and do the kinds of things that we could have been doing all along to avoid that kind of situation. I feel like more street-level interaction, more community engagement, and I think if we if we look for things like racial reconciliation in Richmond, that can really move us towards a future that that LeVar's vision of Richmond could be something of a reality, because he's built a large coalition, a very diverse coalition, and I don't trust that he can please the whole coalition the Democrats at all. Do. Democrats build diverse mm -hmm. coalitions, whether or, not, whether or not they use that power to make changes or whether or not they use that power to stay office and fundraise. Mm -hmm. And the gay community is a great example of that. Most of the largest LGBTQ organizations in the country are essentially fundraising operations. Can I, can I Brad, to, to your yeah. point, yeah. and I think maybe this is, is uh, to your larger point, yeah. um, the McAuliffe administration, the Clinton almost administration, um, and LeVar being a part of the McAuliffe administration, it's a, the people who are inside this organization are very much technocrats. Mm -hmm. um, they are calculating in sort of who and what they listen to, so they, they have their antenna out and up, and they're listening, but they're not necessarily always engaging. Yeah. And like, so for instance, McAuliffe's administration, before pre-administration, I was still a reporter then. I was working at Richmond Magazine. Weirdly, Richmond Magazine was one of few publications that got a sit-down one-on-one with McCullough. It was because I ended up having to play some really uh, interesting backdoor games with their PR guy, who was fighting me off Coy? for like three months. Yeah, what was that guy's name again? Brian Coy? No, 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 oh, no, no, no. 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 The other guy. It was another um, one. It was another kid. <laughs> So anyway, so the, the thing was here though, yeah. what I ended up doing was I, I sent them something that uh, that um, uh, Cuccinelli's people had sent out and said, but you're not going to respond to this, this, and, and basically played them, and then they refused to do the interview with me. They with, with, with Gary Robertson called my editors at Richmond Magazine and told them that they would not interview with me, but yeah. just to prove that they would do an interview. They'll yeah. do the interview, it just has to be with somebody else. Yeah. So Gary Robertson did that interview, wow. and I did the other two. They often will, again, like I said, listen to the idea, but not listen to the particulars and specific, and they're not interested in the emotion of the idea. Yeah. I had a meeting last week with the McAuliffe administration about what I do now, yeah. which is computer science ed, and 
I have the ear of the White House right yeah. now. They're calling yeah. me about computer science for all. I'm on the phone with them. They're saying, we want to come to Richmond. We'd like to spotlight what Virginia is doing with computer science. And I'm in a meeting with McAuliffe administration, top level folks. And I'm like, why do we care? Why? What can they really do for us? Wow. And I said, well, this is not about you. It's about kids. Yeah. But can how does it help us? And, and can I ask you something? I don't want to yeah. Well, I was say real quick, the, yeah, other yeah. Reason, the other reason I'm so critical of McAuliffe is because we, uh, I love McCall. Oh yeah, no, he's like he's, trust me, he's been there when we needed him, but we have to hold him to a higher standard because we expect that much more of him. So I'm going to be on his ass a lot more than I, I mean, trust me, I'm all over uh, Republican uh, people as well, but um, yeah, I mean, I just, you, you hold these people to a higher standard, so I'm eternally grateful for everything that McCullough has done, done for the community, uh, but at the But same I also love my weather vane and my thermostat <laughs> the water that tells me which way the wind blows and what the temperature well, is. Well, we thought that until Tuesday, didn't we? Right. Can, can, I, can I ask you something, because I want to, I want to, one of the things that was kind of highlighted in all of this is transparency, and I want to bring it, I do want to bring it back to uh, kind of a local issue, uh, because I think, I think everyone has, um, experience some sort, especially if you're trying to get um, direct answers, whether it's city council or school board or whoever, um, that, you know, I think the Jones administration, if there is a, a knock on them that I will highlight, there's there's a couple of knocks, but if there's a knock on them that I will highlight, um, is the fact that it seemed as if the transparency was off with mm -hmm. it coming from city, city council. Even when you're talking about big projects, like, you know, if I went, you know, saw a news report that said, you know, you hear city council people saying, we haven't got this information yet, we're still waiting. Um, there's quite a few of that. One of the things that we do have an opportunity for uh, moving forward with everyone that kind of won was transparency from their offices, one. And I think that brings up to what Jesse and Melissa was saying, because you got to hold people to transparency mm -hmm. and to an extent. The other thing, and I want to bring Kim in and ask about this, is the other thing that really was infuriating to uh, just a, a person that was following the city closely the last couple of years is what seemed to be a disconnect, and it could be a fake disconnect, but it seemed to be a disconnect between the city council, the school board, and the mayor's office all working on an accord. Now, I understand that this is almost like a restaurant comment card, right? You go to a restaurant, you get good service, you're not going to say anything. You're not going to praise the good service because you expect it. But when it's dysfunction, that's when you want to fill out the restaurant card, right, AJ, and say, I'm really upset at this server for upsetting me. So all the times... Server or is it the cook, right? Right, but here's the thing. All the times that... I say that just to say, all the times that the city council, school board, and mayor's office works extremely well together, we probably don't even hear about it, yeah. right? Because it's the way it's supposed... We think it's the way it's supposed to be. Well, it's because it never happened. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, there you go. But, but, is, but how do we do that? As, as someone that's been on both now, and we're going to the, the city council board of this, how do we get everyone seeming to move on the same course. So I think the difference, um, there is a huge difference between how, you know, when I ran eight years ago for city, for school board, and one, you know, I had reporters saying that I talked too much, that I was too open about stuff, and it, came, it, it bit me several times, you know, just being open about things, and I understand why people don't... Um, <laughs> I understand why people don't want to talk to the media because there are people out there who are looking for that edge and trying to make everyone look bad. And um, city council pretty much would shut down and not do interviews on really important topics. Um, there were several school board members who wouldn't talk to the press because they didn't trust them. Um, but I think the transparency piece is critical because you really don't know everything that's going on or how the pieces are moving and I really pushed for us to have 
joint meetings so that the, we could have public conversations because everything that was being said behind the scenes was a lot different than what was being said in front of the public. So um, the big difference, I think, going into this next election cycle, and I think I'm very optimistic about where we're going as a city. I really think we made some hard decisions. We're going to move forward. Um, but you're going to have two parents of children in Richmond Public Schools sitting there making decisions, and that makes all the difference. Having served on the school board, you know, just yesterday I got an email from the superintendent that we lost a kid at one of our high schools who jumped out of a car in a high-speed chase, and, and he was taken off life support. Another child is in critical condition who was shot, you know, 16 years old. So we lost two kids last week. We get those emails. Mooney Norwood was shot, trans black woman. Yeah, I mean, it's it's heart-wrenching when, as a leader, your hands are pretty much tied. You can't you can't reach every child and you can't save them all. So how like do publications, you know, Richmond Magazine, RVH or Gay RVA, anybody else that has a forum online or elsewhere, how do we help with the transparency? And like, is it just, is it going to meetings and talking about the meetings and putting information out there or how do we help? Well, I think sometimes just not sensationalizing things and, and reporting facts as they are you know, I got calls last week about the numbers that came out with, um, or week before, accreditation. I'm like, gosh, I really don't, and the, right before an election, the last thing I want to be talking about is schools not succeeding. But it's an important question. It's an important conversation. I took all of those interviews because people need to understand the challenges and, and where we did well and where there was growth, but how the system is designed. So even if you jump 30 points, if you don't hit the mark, you fail. So um, I think that having relationships that people can trust you're going to do what you say you're going to do. And, and I guess and really like when, when you mentioned, though, that things that were being said in public are not necessarily what's being said behind closed doors. I think that's just a level of suspicion that we all probably have. So it is really difficult to trust and believe and just say facts because how do you know if those are right we want access. So my, my, you have access right. to yeah. right. so my, my feeling though too is that i would absolutely agree with what kim said because there's a lot there's a sense in which um the media feels like they're trying to trap you when mm -hmm. you talk to them mm -hmm. so i've run public meetings for a number of politicians uh in in the richmond region and when the when the media comes to ask questions you're on the defensive because it really mm -hmm. feels like they're trying to play some gotcha game mm -hmm. which doesn't engender any trust between the politicians and and uh the media which becomes really difficult because what gets clicks and what sells is some kind mm -hmm. of controversy some kind of trap uh rather than focusing on fundamentals. I mean, yeah. one of the things that I think LeVar really needs to do is fix the fundamentals of communication between school board and yeah. city council and mayor's office. Fix right. HR in the in city hall. Fix legal. Fix IT. These things are not sexy. Nobody's going to read a long-form newspaper article about uh, the travails of running, you know, of changing culture change inside a city hall, but those are some of the things that need to be done, I think. Let's go to Freed and go to Mark. Okay, so I have been doing some back um, research on the commissions in Richmond. And so these are places where you can get either appointed by the, the mayor or by city council. And we have over 100 of them. Um, things like, of course, I'm going to say the Slave Trail Commission first, extremely dysfunctional. Um, but we also have things like the Minority Business Enterprise and Emerging Small Business Advisory Board. 
the Disability Services Board, the Carillon Advisory Committee, for instance, like even the Arbor Commission, they were supposed to guard the trees, but yet they got cut down for the other race, and then we have the one, the Live Oak, that got cut down, they're supposed to do those jobs. These are the transparency roles that would really ensure that the mayor and the city council is informed of what things are happening on the street level. So I'm just really advocating that we push to have all those seats that are up for re-election and reappointment to be staffed by people like us that yeah. can yeah. really get involved and we yes. can gut Very them. No, I told John when he was running, I was like, listen, we need to gut this. And then when he decided to drop out, I was like, you got to tell the bar. we got to gut who's there. Because when I looked at the names, they have the names listed online. Mm -hmm. I don't know 90% of those people, and I feel like I know almost everybody in town. I'm like, okay. how do I not know well, these people? Right. Well, the transparency so, part that no, you were saying, I, I, I wanted to jump back in on to the point about transparency and, and the idea that, that uh, that there's this disconnect between the media and the public officials that they're covering, that, that sometimes people feel as though they're trying to be backed into a corner. You know, it's easy to say you want transparency, but then when a Michael Paul Williams and, and the mm -hmm. newspaper pitches a, a story that um, is going to give probably the most comprehensive look inside the classroom of Richmond Public Schools, you see the Richmond Public Schools administration um, mm -hmm. in a roundabout way, if you ask me, um, basically make it so Michael Paul Williams and the newspaper cannot give the public mm -hmm. a transparent yeah. yes. and accurate view of yeah. what is going on that in the classroom. So so just a point, everybody knows that what they're going to find in those classrooms <laughs> and in those buildings is not what we want. So mm -hmm. it's not like but, it's a secret. I was in a conversation that I can't tell names and stories, so I'll just tell the story. Oh, tell the names! There was some data about about regional school performance, mm -hmm. that the school system sat there and said, we don't want this analyzed because if, if it's analyzed, it will be foyable. If it's foyable, the media will get their hands on it and they will tell the same story about dysfunctional inner city schools, suburban schools of excellence where everything is amazing, and we don't want that story and that narrative to be put that there in the media. And I think it's dysfunctional all the way around, right? Mm -hmm. the, the fact that... But you know, do you know how change happens? Change happens when you by finding out about those things. What I'm doing right now now is a direct result of something I reported on. It's a direct result of it, and I said, okay, this is really important. Nobody's doing anything about it. I'm going to take action. As a parent of an RPS student, and then now as a parent of one that will be soon, um, I think that that transparency issue is also an issue with us, the parents. Like, the, the administration at the schools a lot of time doesn't want to be transparent with us, and when we try to get active and get involved, I feel like parental involvement or family inclusion is just not um, a priority at some of these schools. And I think that if they're having problems with the media with transparency, how do you think the parents feel? And that's well, I want to touch. I think, so, I think so for me, this is, um, it seems like we're on the opposite sides mm -hmm. of the problem. Mm -hmm. So we want transparency. We want all, everyone wants to know what's going on. But it seems like we're, we're not going towards the same goal. So for me, it's more about partnership, right? If we can have, we can be honest about what's wrong. And we can talk about solutions. But let's go to the same direction. Because we fight with each other. Like, I want to know what's going on because I don't trust you. And that we're fighting with each other. We're not working towards the same goal. To, to your point, too, a lot of the, the systems that are in place are set up to create adversarial relationships. They are. Right. They are. Everything all the, way, all the way from the parent with teachers. That's right. All the way up to the administration right. with the press. That's right. I mean, I, and we stay stuck so we don't make yeah, problems. Look, and we just complain. Your, your IEP. Meeting, your IEP. Yeah. Meeting. If you are on one side of the table, you're a teacher, 
you're there as a, a, an advocate for the school district and the child, right? You think you're there for the child, and you've been put up at that spot at the table to help to deal with how the child, what they should be receiving in the school building. You're on the other side of the table, you're the parent. You're the only one there, mm -hmm. right? So that's automatically how you say it, because you're the only right. one there. And then everything that's being tossed at you is, no, this is not how the procedure works. Procedure, 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 procedure. Right. And so you're inside of a box so that you don't know the edges of. Yeah. So that creates problems. Well, media, we about, media, media, like, versus, media versus uh, city council or government structure, same thing. Can I jump in just as, as having served on the school board and uh, having been sued multiple times, <laughs> and many times individually, where it's you know my insurance agent is not very happy with me, but but um, we're very happy. <laughs> but um, a lot of times, you know, even with the Mike Williams stuff, there are legal ramifications and opening up classrooms, mm -hmm. and there's FERPA, and there are privacy implications. So there was a lot of legal stuff going on in the background that really wasn't laid out there as well. Not to say that, you know, I love Mike and no, I, I think the biggest mistake it, was that they announced that they were going to do the project. Right. That's the biggest mistake right. of the whole RPS thing. They hadn't if they had never, If they had never said, we're going to do this great project, but now I understand why in my mind. I understand why. I never really talked to them about it. But I know people I really look. I think they mm -hmm. look to Michael Paul Williams' column. Right. Often, and they look for his voice. Mm -hmm. And if RTD all of a sudden was like, "Oh, we're not publishing any more Michael Paul Williams articles," they would have thought because of the history of the RTD, they would have thought that there was something way more well, sinister than him doing a project. So well, it was like well, he had to. Well, there were several teachers who pushed back. They didn't feel comfortable with the reporter. Right. They didn't trust having a reporter in their classrooms. So how do you tell a teacher? Well, you're just going to have to eat this one when it impacts instruction. So, I mean, there there's so many other moving parts. And Michael had had very negative experiences working with the podium board and trying to get into Richmond Public Schools. So I know that there, there are failures on all sides. Um, at the end of the day, you know, on the school board, we have to follow the federal, state, local oh, laws. Podium, with respect by the way, to is a nonprofit that goes in and does uh, a, uh, literary a literary magazine. magazine. And it's awesome but but we have challenges and and we don't our challenges are not unlike other districts it's just ours are magnified because we have so many other things going on but you know even I serve on the Maggie Walker Regional School Board we're being sued now so I mean for a similar um, you know whether or not students have a right to talk about what goes on with other students and 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 those kinds of things so um, the issues are not unique. I think we have a lot of challenges, but you know, from the inside, it's a lot different than from the outside looking in. So. This is this is what we got to do in the sake of time. Uh, obviously, we got to wrap this particular table episode up. But we thank everybody for coming. This is what I want to do as we close, though, because we do have a new kind of day. If you look at uh, new city council composition new school board composition, obviously a new mayor. I want to turn uh, one of the last questions to Mark uh, and ask him, now that you've covered the entire race, you've seen kind of how everything is broken a certain way. Mm. Moving forward, what are you uh, keeping your eye on the most to see? Well, like, what is the thing you're looking for in the next, I don't know, a couple of months 
or so I would say long term, six to eight months from now, what are you looking to see and looking to cover? I think the, you know, to somebody's point earlier about, um, you know, all the concerns about or, or kind of knocks against LeVar, you know, still being standing despite him being the person that we all ended up backing or whatever, or the city ended up electing. I think the first hundred days of his administration are going to be very, very critical to, to proving that he can hire people, competent people in important positions, proving that he can develop a good working relationship with the new uh, council, develop a, a good working relationship with the new school board, and, and start to make the wheels turn again and start rebuilding that confidence in City Hall. So, I mean, I personally am very interested in, in following the first hundred days of his administration and seeing him start to try to deliver on um, you know, the grand vision that he laid out for the city, the grand vision he laid out for public education. Um, I think that it's going to be it's going to be really crucial for him to, to start fast. Matt, how do we go forward in regards to conversations like this and the many others that are going to take place in the future and the many others that are happening since Tuesday in regards to trying to, I think what R.D. Dirt was saying, kind of hold people accountable, but at the same time, there's a big disconnect in regards to listening to people, right. identifying with people, and understanding with people. What's How do you see moving forward in what's going to be an extremely tense time, I think, between now to the National Inauguration Day to uh, the, the new City Council School Board's next hundred, first 100 days? What, what, what are the things that people should be looking forward to? I, mean, I think, and we haven't talked about national election at all, but I think that's going to overshadow a lot of the local dynamics. <coughs> Um, but in a sense, that could be really helpful for at least the people living in within within the city limits, because we were mostly on the same page in terms of who we supported uh, democratically. And there's going to be a tremendous amount of energy that's unleashed in opposition that kind of gets uh, bled off if your side wins, right? So I think what we need to do is harness the energy that's going to be created by the resistance to Trump and put that yeah. into local efforts. I totally agree. That's, yes. 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 that's the silver lining in all this. That, that hopefully people decide to take more ownership over mm -hmm. their local government to turn out to more meetings so that everything doesn't feel so reactionary you know at, at budget time yeah. or, or or when there's a you know a negative headlines because there will be negative headlines and, and you don't want people to um, AJ Mimi and uh, I call them both Mimi but Amy Mimi and Mimi and AJ how do we go about in regard because there's going to be a process here like I said there's still I think major challenges in places in Richmond that aren't the no offense to Kim, but aren't the second, aren't the third, aren't the fourth, aren't the first. How, how do how do everyone kind of, how do we go about that work of letting people understand that there is a south side and there is a, you know, there's populations well, that are engaged as everyone else? My position is unique uh, amongst my peers. The only way that Richmond continues its growth on both uh, the colored side, the minority side, and our white counterparts is if people like me incentivize my peers to stay here. I wonder if any of you have like uh, stats on like, you know, you hear about white flight, but what about black flight? Like, you know, my peers that go to UVA, go to Richmond, go to Georgetown, and then leave the city. And so, you know, there was an aspect in the 80s that people were getting pushed out, but how, 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 how are we getting pushed out now with our Harvard educated degrees when we're choosing to leave? So we've got to incentivize, I've got to incentivize my peers to stay here uh, because Richmond's gonna get better. Uh, and if, it, 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 if we're not going to stay here and be a part of it, then we'll see this city flip upside down. Armstrong will be all white in 20 years because it's going to get better, period. We've got to be a part of this. And, I, and every day in my coffee shop, I hold up that mirror. And people don't want to hear that sometimes, 
But you gotta stay here, man. What do you want your life to be about? Do you want it to be about fancy cars? And I was a former stockbroker making excellent money. Mm. Uh, and I wish I could have um, uh, stayed in that business and, and, and had, had my restaurant as well. But I gave that up for a chance to make my city a little bit better. Uh, what are you gonna do, uh, John? What are you gonna do, Keith? These are my friends, and I'm begging them to stay in the state of Richmond. That's how we make this better. You can talk about politics and media, uh, mm -hmm. but there's a third element to this, and that's the people. Yeah. Um, if we continue to take our resources outside of the city, we starve it. Um, how, do, how do we ensure people's voices are being heard? So with, with the 8th District, what I have um, proposed to Reva and proposed to Don Page is that, you know, just like we canvass, um, Reva canvasses every day during the election, you know, at everyone's house that we come up with some way to be able to get information for people that aren't necessarily going to come to the satellite and <clears throat> come to her meeting, that we can educate them on what's going on with, with our district, how they can get involved, um, and same with Dawn, um, with, you know, activating the PTAs and just doing a better job of getting the people to where they need to be and getting the information to the people. You know what I like to see? I like to see people walk all year round. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Reva does. Yeah. 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 Well, I extracted a promise from Lavar on camera that he would show up at city council meetings and that he would allow regular citizens to contact him and answer questions at any time. No more talking through some press link. None of that. Todd, you gotta yeah, we're not be there on the street. Brad's not there yet, but that could be a change. Yeah. If there was a change, could be a change there. Yeah. Todd, you're in unique. Exasperated breath. <laughs> Because I, I, I know I, I follow your look, I follow your social media as well. So I see your um, your uh, Instagram videos, and you have I think you have a unique perspective because you canvass very heavily in the first district uh, for Andres, and you're also well known in Churchill. Obviously, all the work that you do there, night and day, right? Churchill in the first district. Yeah. How, how do we? How, how do we it's go about interesting that, that they're so different. But the, the, the demographics are different, but the problems are the same. Everyone wants the city better. Yeah. Everyone just wants it better. And for me, it's, it's about participation. If you want it better, what are you going to do about it? If it's a commission, if it's a nonprofit organization, if it's sitting with your neighbors, do something. And so my, my fear is that we stop doing this. We stop having dialogue. We stop having conversations. I, I do agree that the national landscape is going to push us a little bit. I think so. And I think it'll push us to be involved. That's good. So, and so for, for all of us who are dissatisfied, and I agree, we got to keep people in the city, we got to incentivize it, but if you're dissatisfied, do something. Start a business. Start an organization. Be more involved. I think, so whatever, whatever it is, just do something. I think if we can do that, then we can create a different kind of culture. And, and our officials are going to have no choice. I was watching Fox News for four years. And... and <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I would watch, and I watched Mitch McConnell say he was going to do everything in his power to stop President Obama. And a part of me was hoping that we get a Republican uh, uh, president, just a part of me, just so that we can show them mm -hmm. what it means not to obstruct yeah. justice you got what and you work together. Right. And you just said something yeah. amazing. Let's use this as a point in history to inspire each other yeah. to do better. Not to obstruct Donald Trump, but to make sure our agenda. Because here's the real talk. 
Richmond is an amazing city and it's getting much, much better, mm. much better. And I hope that we use this as, mm -hmm. as a pivotal point in history to continue to push the agenda forward. So we know that our race went on, we were in the Huffington Post and the annual Roland Martin talked about Joe Morrissey and all this right. stuff. So, Germany talking so, about Joe Morrissey. So, so, talk about. so now let's talk about LeVar and talk about having a yeah. young person. Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah. 35-year-old mayor, that's crazy. Yeah. I was telling Amy, I hope he doesn't have a Doug Wilder moment and start thinking about what's next and sure. remember that we're in Richmond right now. Okay. And also, we also right. Wednesday, <laughs> yeah. we were all tired and beat up, and Thursday, we were all talking about who's going to replace Donna McKeachin and yeah. what are those House of Delegates. There's an election in Virginia. Right. Oh, right. It never ends. ends. What are those so HODCs and who's going to come off a of school board and really run for <laughs> something else? Yeah. And, and what's going to happen? And is Joe going to reappear for state senate and what's going to happen in Peters the Petersburg effect of it all you know so we're always in this and so we have to protect Virginia because we don't know what's going to happen at a national level right and how's that going to trickle down so Amy's going to protect the eighth and the ninth I'm going to hold on got the second but we also have to keep Virginia honest as well on every level let me ask Chad and Kim though moving forward moving forward Amy I'm sorry moving forward how do you keep the dialogue going? And is there things that you've learned in this race, especially for Kim and Chad, both you are both running in this race, that will will, will change our approach for the future? You can go, you can okay. just jump in. Well, I just think that, I think it's great to say we should all show up and get engaged, but there are people who we're entering into the winter season, there are children who are showing up with no coats. Yep. Mm -hmm. There are people who have no heat, still haven't paid their gas bills off from last season, or you know have have empty oil tanks. So it's really hard to focus on what's going on locally around you when you're you're yeah, in survival mode. Live life, and um, I think that we have to remember and acknowledge that, and we need to do what we can to reach out to those who are struggling really, really every day. So um, keep that in the forefront. And somebody come to your door. Yeah, yeah. And, and as a teacher, you know, I always like to speak for Richmond schools. I don't know if anything's come out of this election cycle at all that's really given any answer for the crisis that we're facing mm -hmm. in our public mm -hmm. schools right now. And you know, I have hope in the future, of course, and in Lavar, but nothing that he's done has showed me how he's going to be able to go at the fundamental issues and problems that we have to make Richmond a great city like the other cities he likes to name when he compares us to other ones. And, they also have the same education problems we have, so I, I hope to see some good cooperation come out of it that we can move forward in public education so that our city can be truly um, great. I, I actually, one of the most, I, I try to focus on, because a lot of things went pretty poorly for some, in a lot of people's uh, opinions about the national election, but I really am focused on the fact that um, I work way out in the counties, and all the people who live in, you know, Goochland and Powhatan are really actually interested and engaged mm -hmm. in what's going on in the Richmond uh, political scene because they know that, like, we're not, you know, we're all in this together. If Richmond goes, you know, Powhatan can't just, like, live on by itself. Like, we have to all work together. Um, and, and again, because of the demographic shifts that you mentioned, you know, that people are changing and moving where they live, we really need to focus on our region as a whole and make it all better, you know. Freeze, you have uh, I, I skipped over you. Would you? Would, yeah. I'm wrapping up here. I okay. So there's two things that I think are um, critical that Lavar, because he has state connections, can really help Richmond lead the way on. But it's state legislature. But still, we can start it here in Richmond. People make about seventeen dollars an hour doing production and manufacturing jobs here in Richmond. But because of 
the temp agency situation. They have to go through a temp agency to get these jobs, and the temp agencies take five dollars out of every every hour that they work, so they go from making like seventeen dollars mm -hmm. to only ten, eleven, or twelve. And it's critical. I'm practically in tears thinking about it because. You can't take care of kids, you can't concern yourself with school board issues, can't help them do their homework, because you can't pay your bills. And so it's it's a problem. And then the, yes, it's it's because of the temp agencies gouging. Most people I know have to get their jobs through temp agencies. It's called Aerotech is the one that's really killing our city. And the second thing is that if you get any kind of non-driving, dangerous driving violation in this city, like say for instance you still have money to get your car inspected and you get a ticket, then when you go to court they can suspend your driver's license and then if you have to drive to get to work to make the money to pay that ticket off, you end up getting a suspended driving and then it's even more and more. And so this city is criminal, this is something that was just written about in medium and heavy and all these national um, blogs and online papers. There's a major problem right now with the city gouging the poorest people for non-criminal offenses and then that is causing all these problems and so especially with the BRT making people's routes to, to work being even more difficult. This is like really, really hurtful um, to our citizens and so it's people like us that have media coverage opportunity that can really advocate for this to not happen. But I think the majority of our engagement issues and the majority of people getting their voices heard and stuff and the things that Joe Morrissey would probably be representing the most, we can take those on as being causes to champion mm -hmm. all of us. Those kids in your schools wouldn't have the problems that they have if their parents were taking home 17 instead of 9. And yes. so really, please, advocate that outside stress. Yes, it's sure. just too much. So as we wrap up, and I'm going to bring uh, Melissa and Justine as well, just to, to, again, RV Dirt is a great example, obviously, all the work that Mark's done. And I'll, I'll shout out to Ned and Graham over there at because they do a really good job of covering their stuff yeah. as well. Um, this kind of popped up, right, from the election, right? We're about to hit our six-month anniversary. I so, right? so where do you guys go now in regards to yeah, well, so your work in the city? Melissa has done um, live tweeting council meetings from her personal account for like two years before that. So we're yeah. converting that over to RVA Dirt and starting to do that there. I'll, but I'll be there yeah. now every time since it's once a month. I'm not just going to be doing the armchair watching Channel 57 sure. like I've been since I was in middle school. <laughs> and something that like is... Yeah. Um, probably both of our passion is really this whole thing started with access and it's just you know we got very frustrated with how many forums and events I was finding out about the day of the day yeah. of and that's where the calendar started I gotta work I need to, you know I gotta schedule that but I want to be there because I want to find out what's happening and then give that access to people who don't have it I'm gonna get on the street I'm gonna talk to my neighbors about what I saw at this meeting and what I heard and, and I think some of that also for me my passion I'm trying to currently build out and get a lot of ideas around is a kind of a resource library portion of RVA dirt where we can talk about the issues like having temp agencies and have resource links in there and be able to have a catalog because you know when I'm talking to somebody about trans rights that's not my expertise I know enough about it to probably get through a conversation but being able to have these links to all of these issues that we have to be able to go easily and research for ourselves and even just grab the links and hand them over to other people so it's not spending so much time trying to research every issue because we're never going to know every issue sure. right. and trying to engage the people at this table but and other tables of links for services you know, sure, community you should groups, talk to, you should talk to Amy or Black and figure out resources and 
all these things but, as and well. And also a volunteer list, things you can go out and do to help. But we'd also like to report on those volunteer activities. Like, I'm going to go out and do those and tell you what it's about so you know what you're getting into beforehand. So you're not just walking into it blind. Because some people will walk in and be like, this is not for me, and turn around and not lend a hand. But if they know beforehand, yeah. they can pick and choose which one's going to work for them and not just walk in and be worthless, but they'll be walked in and prepared. So the goal here is obviously to keep this conversation going and keep all the conversations that we have going as we move forward uh, into this kind of new day in our city uh, with new uh, elected officials and we're going to do more obviously tables. This is our probably our final one that's specifically focused on the election since we've done two in the previous and now that the election day is over but we will go back to doing the tables that are focused on issues um, and the things that we enjoy. A um, couple of interesting things I want to look forward to seeing, and I think all of them were alluded to here, is um, the challenge. Mimi, uh, uh, you mentioned it as well, and I wrote about this on the Cheats Movement blog because I do think that the challenge of the new mayor administration, the new mayor himself, being a 35-year-old African-American with ties in the National Party, I think he's going to have to make a conscious decision. Right, but he's gonna he's gonna have to make a conscious decision to be a grounded out mayor in Richmond every day, as opposed to no, as opposed to I've seen this happen. But the, there's there's the Corey Brokers or the Harold Ford Jr. or the uh, Barack Obamas, you know that guy. And so here's no here's the thing: there is going to be like they're looking now. Because right. as, as, as Brad and jokingly, but there are people in DC right now on South Street saying, no, 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 but saying there's a 35 year old African American that just got elected in Richmond, Virginia, in the South. Right. How do we how do we maximize that? Camila Harris, you're gonna see her all over the place in the national news. She's 51. She's now in the you know she's there. So you're just gonna have to figure out. So I think there is gonna be a challenge one about um, figuring out how he remains focused on the issues at hand, and I think. It's going to be harder than he's ever imagined. Well, yeah. I really do, because he's an active guy. I think it's going to be harder for him to say no. I think the other side of this thing is, and I think this is a serious side, and Kim, you've alluded to it, Chad, and quite a few people that talk about uh, our schools and uh, public safety is another one that's, that's, if you're not concerned about it, you should be now. Um, is I think there's a challenge of, I think, how many people really know how change happens. When you're talking about local, local things, right? We're, you know, um, and I think the challenge is trying to figure out, uh, in a in a succinct way, what are the things that a city charger can, can change, and how do you go about improving those things? Because there's just so many debates that people make a gut reaction to, but they really don't know. A gut reaction, just that I know of, is people would be like. Oh yeah, schools are under underpopulated. Close the school. Right. But then you realize if you close the school and you put you you may have gone from a quote unquote underpopulated school to having forty five people in the class because now we have less schools. Not quite. <laughs> not, quite. <laughs> not quite. But but you're, but you're but you're looking at yeah. you're looking at things that you're not thinking of when you're saying okay, well it costs this much to operate a school if we close it. transportation yeah, and there's, so there's there, but there are things that I think people don't think of, right. and I think there's I'm these things. I'm wondering, like, how is Levar going to handle Richmond-based Trump protests? Well, here's the way we're gonna, we're gonna have to figure oh, that. Yeah. We're gonna have to figure that out on the next stop because we gotta wrap this one up. Okay. Right. Talk amongst yourselves, but I thank everyone really quickly. Thank everyone for coming. Thank you for having us. We gotta thank RBA for. We gotta keep these things going.
but thanks everyone. Good job. Yeah. <laughs>